Let's open our Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Numbers, looking at Pentecost foreshadowed in the wilderness. Numbers 11, going to read verses 1 to 30, focusing on 25 to 29. Numbers 11, beginning at the first verse. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people cried out to Moses. When Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every one at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian, carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. The Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. And you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat, that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? 
The Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men who had remained in the camp, the name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. The young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. So far, the reading of God's holy word. They were filled with sorrow, understandably so. Jesus, their master, teacher, and friend, told them that he had to depart. I shall be with you a little while longer. Where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Grief filled the hearts of the disciples because they knew that changes were coming. They were confused. They were anxious. But Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. After Jesus' departure, the Helper, the Holy Spirit would come. And Jesus said, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus comforted his disciples by reminding them that, yes, changes were coming, but they would be good changes. His departure would not be a loss. It would, be a, it would profit them because the Spirit of God would be poured out upon his church. Their loss would actually be great gain. Through the departure of Jesus, they would receive a tremendous gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ten days after Jesus' ascension, the disciples were assembled together on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus had promised to pour out his spirit, and that promise is now fulfilled. 
Through the power of the Spirit, the disciples were able to speak in other languages so that it was plain to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for both Jews and Gentiles. The barriers were taken down by the Holy Spirit and Jews and Gentiles were received as equals in the church of Christ. While the gift of languages on the day of Pentecost was a sign of judgment to unbelieving Israel, declaring that the church would now encompass people from all nations, 1 Corinthians 14, 21, it was also a sign of blessing to the Gentiles, indicating that the wall of separation had been removed and they could be received and welcomed into the church of Jesus Christ. Congregation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church on the day of Pentecost was an event that Moses longed to see. Almost 1,500 years before that great event recorded in Acts 2, Moses said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses yearned to see the spirit poured out upon the church. You might say that the words of Moses in Numbers 11, verse 29, amounted to a Pentecost prayer. This morning we want to consider Numbers 11, verses 25 to 29, where we see Pentecost foreshadowed in the wilderness. I want to direct your attention to three things. The need for God's Spirit, number one. The blessings of His Spirit, number two. And the fullness of His Spirit, number three. We begin with the need, the need. In Numbers 11, the Israelites had departed from Mount Sinai where they had been for 11 months. Therefore, it was 14 months since their exodus from Egypt. After 11 months at Sinai, the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle and moved toward the wilderness of Paran. But the people began to what? Murmur. They began to murmur against the Lord regarding their hardships. And because of their lack of trust, the anger of the Lord was aroused and he sent fire which consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. In terror, the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses interceded for them, the fire was quenched. But then immediately after that, we read in verse 4 that the mixed multitude those who were not ethnic Israelites, but came along with the Israelites when they left Egypt, they began to complain about God's provision. They were sick and tired of the manna. And they thought back to their days in Egypt when they had fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. They longed for the delicacies of Egypt and they despised God's provision of manna. We read in verse 10 that the people were weeping at the doors of their tents. And once again, the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And when Moses heard their grumbling, he felt overwhelmed by the pressures of leadership. The people were crying and acting like children. And Moses was ready to throw in the towel. Leadership in the church can sometimes be a very weighty Task. Leadership in the church can sometimes be a very weighty task. 
In verses 11 to 15, Moses presented his problem to the Lord. He said, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Now, look at verse 15. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses was done. He was so drained by the responsibilities of leadership that he preferred death. Please kill me here and now. Moses had sunk so deep into the pit of despair that he wanted to die rather than lead these rebellious people paralyzed by discouragement. On the one hand, brothers and sisters, we sympathize with Moses' plight. He was appalled by the wickedness of the people and he felt as though he had no strength to go on. He was tired and fed up. And yet, although we sympathize with Moses, we also see here that he was failing in his task as mediator for God's people. Moses could not pray, he could not plead, he could not make intercession for them. Instead of interceding for his wayward, stubborn people, Moses joined them in the sin of grumbling. One writer said, This is a common temptation for all those in leadership over God's flock. When the sheep are unwilling to be led in the way they should go, it is easy for us to become frustrated with them and grumble about them. However, when we grumble about our flock, we are merely revealing the unbelief of our own hearts. We have failed to believe that God will sanctify our sheep in His time. If we have faith in the efficacy of God's sanctification program, however, and remember that it's His work through and through, we will intercede for our errant sheep. Instead of grumbling about them, instead of fuming over our assignment, we will pray for our people patiently. That is certainly the calling of our brothers who were ordained here this morning. Instead of grumbling, patiently make intercession. Pray for this flock. Pray for this flock. Congregation in Moses' sinful despair, we see the need for a greater mediator, one who does not fail. The failure of Moses reminds us of our need for Jesus Christ. He does not quit. He is the one mediator who never gives up. Is he your mediator? He makes continual intercession for his people, says the writer of Hebrews. He does not grow weary, become cranky, and throw in the towel. Although our sins are many, he does not give up on those for whom he died. Having taken the wrath of God in our place on Calvary's cross, Jesus now consistently intercedes for us. What a tremendous blessing that is. 
I ask again, is he your mediator? But getting back to Moses, the Lord did not grant his request to be put to death, but God answered him graciously by telling him that he was willing to lighten his load by transferring some of the responsibility to 70 elders. Moses had to bring 70 men to the tabernacle of meeting where the Lord would set them apart and equip them for service. Now children, what did these 70 men need to serve with Moses as leaders over the people of Israel? To be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with him as shepherds of God's flock, what did they need to resist sin in the camp? They needed God's Spirit. They needed God's Spirit. Moses had been endowed with a spirit to govern God's people. The spirit who empowered Moses had to empower the 70 elders so that they could share the burden of rule over God's people. To wisely govern according to the will of God, they needed the spirit of God. Isn't that what church leaders today desperately need as well? Our elders and deacons cannot faithfully shepherd the church of God without the Spirit of God. The best thing you could do for the leaders of this church is pray that God will empower them with His Spirit. So the Lord told Moses to bring the 70 men to the tabernacle of meeting. And there he would take of the spirit that was upon Moses and put the same spirit on them. Verse 24 says that Moses gathered the 70 men. And then we read in verse 25 that the Lord came down in the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud, and spoke to Moses. Then he took of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. It was not as though a portion of the Spirit was taken away from Moses and given to the elders, but rather the same Spirit who empowered Moses was given to empower the, the elders. Instead of one Spirit-filled leader, there were 70. At the tabernacle, the place where God made His presence known, the Spirit of the Lord dwelt upon them. This was God's mercy not only to Moses, but to the whole church in the wilderness. They were a murmuring, restless, rebellious, and hard-hearted people. They needed faithful, spirit-filled men to guide them. They were in danger of self-destruction, in danger of bringing upon themselves the terrible wrath of God. Through the gift of God's Holy Spirit upon these 70 men, the Lord was graciously preserving the church and the wilderness from spiritual chaos. Consider then, secondly, the blessings of God's Spirit. Number two, the blessings. As I already said, the Spirit of God was needed to equip the 70 elders to serve as Moses' assistants to provide godly rule over an often ungodly people. Through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, there were many 
blessings. We see some of those blessings, don't we, in the Old Testament book of Judges. You remember that? In Judges 3.10, we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and through his leadership, Israel triumphed over the enemy. In Judges 6.34, we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and with a mere 300 men, he defeated the Midianites, who were as numerous as locusts. In Judges 11.29, we are told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he led the Israelites to victory over the people of Ammon. In Judges 13, 14, and 15, we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he slew countless Philistines, the enemies of Israel and of God. In each of these Old Testament stories, the Spirit of God was given for the preservation, defense, and protection of the church of the Old Covenant. In each of these situations, the Lord carried individuals beyond their normal physical capacities. He gave them abilities which extended beyond their natural selves. Here in our text, we read that when the Spirit of the Lord rested upon the 70 men, they what? Prophesied. Prophesied. What does it mean that they prophesied? The text does not spell out in detail what they were doing. Some commentators suggest that these 70 men spoke to the people of the things of God on a level that was obviously far beyond their natural learning. They spoke of spiritual things in such a way that it was obvious to all that they were divinely inspired. Perhaps they expounded the law which they had recently received at Mount Sinai. They expounded it with clarity, depth, power, and with great conviction. Perhaps they expounded it in such a way that it was obvious to all who heard them that they were God's mouthpieces. Calvin said, In my opinion, prophecy here is equivalent to a special faculty of discoursing magnificently of secret things or mysteries. A special faculty of discoursing magnificently of secret things or mysteries. Whatever this prophesying may have been, the intent of it was to authenticate these men as genuine servants of God. All who observed were able to see that what they did was the result of a special visitation of the Spirit. Moreover, when these men prophesied, they stood out in stark contrast to the grumblers in Israel. In verse 1, we read that the people complained. In verse 4, they wept. They were filled with bitter, angry, destructive, unhelpful words. In stark contrast to the grumblers in Israel, these 70 elders spoke words of Wisdom and truth, edifying, pure, constructive, God-honoring words. The grumblers of Israel doubted the Lord and questioned His fatherly care over them. Words of unbelief came from their lips. But from the 70 elders, filled with a the spirit, there came God-exalting, God-fearing, God-glorifying words. Through the prophesying of the 70, the grumblers should have been ashamed of their own faithless attitude. 
They should have been convicted that the God of Israel is to be feared, honored, praised, worshipped, and loved. The grumblers had dishonored the Lord while the 70 spirit-filled elders spoke the truth about him. Now, in verse 26, we read that two men of the 70 had remained in the camp. Their names were Eldad and Medad. For some reason, which we are not given in the text, Eldad and Medad were not at the tabernacle with everyone else. Yet the Spirit of God sought them out, and they also prophesied, not at the tabernacle with the others, but in the camp. The people of Israel could see that the activity of God's Spirit was not tied to the tabernacle, neither was the Spirit directed by Moses or somehow limited to the presence of Moses. In John 3, Jesus compared the activity of the Spirit to what? The wind. The wind. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. The activity of the Spirit is not predictable. God is sovereign, and His Spirit comes upon His people in the manner and time of His choosing. When the Spirit came upon Eldad and Medad in the camp, apart from the presence of Moses, the people could see that it was not Moses who gave the Spirit, but it was the sovereign Lord who bestows His Spirit according to His own good pleasure. Like the elders at the tabernacle, Eldad and Medad began prophesying. They prophesied in the camp. Through their testimony, the grumblers in the camp had another reminder of their own sin. Their grumbling was of the flesh. The prophesying of Eldad and Medad was of the spirit. The grumbling was carnal. The prophesying was spiritual. The grumbling arose from a heart of unbelief and brought dishonor to the Lord. The prophesying arose from the Spirit and brought honor to the Lord. Eldad and Medad in the midst of the camp were a reminder to all who heard them that Israel must trust the Lord and not resort to their own fleshly tendencies. They must repent of their sinful unbelief and commit themselves to the God of Israel. Through Eldad and Medad, the Spirit of God was calling all within the camp to trust in the one who had redeemed them from slavery. But then having briefly considered the need for God's Spirit and the blessings of His Spirit, I want us to focus primarily on the fullness of His Spirit, the fullness. A young man who heard Eldad and Medad prophesying in the camp ran and told Moses. And in verse 28, we see the response of Joshua. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 28. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them, stop them. Why was Joshua so concerned? Why did he object? 
it seems he was concerned about protecting the authority of Moses. If this was allowed to continue, Moses' unique position might be undermined. It is likely that Joshua's zeal for Moses was well-intended. He wanted to maintain both the honor of God and the honor of Moses. However, his zeal was misguided. He did not understand that the Spirit of God working in Eldad and Medad was present to support Moses, not to usurp his leadership. Notice what Moses said in verse 29. Are you zealous, jealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them. Instead of rebuking Eldad and Medad, Moses expressed his desire that the Spirit of God would not only be poured out on a few select individuals, but that the Spirit of God would be poured out about, upon all the Lord's people. Moses longed for better days, a fuller and widespread coming of the Spirit on God's people. Congregation, the desire of Moses expressed in verse 29 was fulfilled when? Yes, on the day of Pentecost. What did the prophet Joel say in chapter 2, verse 28? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. The Spirit of God, who in the Old Testament era came upon select individuals, almost exclusively men, came on the day of Pentecost upon sons and daughters, young and old, manservants and maidservants. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent by the ascended Christ to dwell in His church, His people. And through the indwelling power of the Spirit, we are all, what? Prophets unto the Lord. We are all prophets unto the Lord. Moses said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. That longing was fulfilled in the coming of the Spirit. Jesus himself is the great prophet. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher. But by faith... We share in His anointing. Through the Holy Spirit, we are prophets. We declare the great deeds of the Lord and speak of the wonderful things that He has done. We speak God's truth and proclaim His word. In the wilderness, in the wilderness, 70 elders were set apart. And when the Spirit came upon them, they prophesied temporarily on this one occasion. Verse 25 says, when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, although they never did so again. The Holy Spirit revealed them to be genuine messengers to assist the church in the wilderness, selected by God for the sanctification of the church. 
In the New Testament, we read that the Spirit of God also came upon specially selected men, and they too were used of the Lord to assist the church. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost was the most notable. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, he boldly proclaimed the word to the multitudes in Jerusalem. He preached Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. As the 70 elders prophesied by the Holy Spirit to an unbelieving people in the wilderness, so Peter and the other disciples proclaimed the word by the Holy Spirit to the unbelieving multitudes in Jerusalem. But brothers and sisters, ever since the day of Pentecost, it's not only certain select men who possess the Spirit. Yes, your office bearers need the indwelling Spirit to be faithful shepherds, and we trust that the brothers ordained here today are indwelt by the Spirit. But it's not only church leaders. No, the Spirit is given to all, your sons, your daughters, your seniors, your fathers, and your mothers. We are privileged to live at this time in redemptive history, for that which Moses longed to see is now a reality. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them. In Numbers 11, the Spirit of God was given to the elders in the wilderness so that they could assist the people in their sanctification. Today, the Spirit of God is given to each believer so that you may live a sanctified life in the service of your God. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Scripture says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He works in you as the great sanctifier to transform you more and more into the likeness of Christ. The Spirit of God takes those who, who have distorted God's image through sin and He transforms them so that men, women, and children become more and more what they were created to be. The Spirit dwelling in the Christian enables you to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to be Christ-like. In the wilderness, Moses saw so much sin and rebellion that he was ready to hand in his resignation. They were unwilling to live by the word. They were self-centered and catered to the desires of the flesh. The manna which was not only provision for the body to fill their stomachs, but also food for the soul, designed to direct God's people to Jesus Christ, the bread of life, that manna was despised. They preferred the fish of Egypt, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. The symbol of God's forgiving love through Jesus Christ was despised by many of the people. Worthless manna. Worthless manna. If you continue reading in this chapter, in verses 31 to 35, you learn that God provided meat for the people. But he gave it as a judgment for their sin. While the meat was still between their teeth, 
the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people and he struck them with a very great plague. The name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of craving. Many people perished because of their sinful longing. Moses understood that if the people were to mirror and reflect the holy character of God, they needed the Holy Spirit as sanctifier. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Congregation, do you thank the Lord that we today may be blessed with the fullness of God's spirit? In ourselves, we are unholy. By nature, we are like the hard-hearted and hard-headed Israelites in the wilderness. But we are made holy through the transforming work of the Spirit. He works to conform us to the image of Christ. He is called the Holy Spirit, not only because He is holy, but also because of His work to make us holy. He produces in us a more righteous life. He fulfills the role of sanctifier. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul said, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The apostle then goes on in Galatians 5 to list some of the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are such things as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, said the apostle. In contrast to the works of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, brothers and sisters, by the power of the indwelling Spirit, believers can be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Our wills can be conformed to His will. Instead of murmuring against God, the Spirit enables you to quietly and lovingly submit. He enables you to trust the wisdom of our sovereign God. Rather than provoking him to wrath by your unbelief, the Spirit enables you to live as his children in fellowship with him. And instead of dishonoring him with our lips, the Spirit of God uses us as prophets to speak God's truth and to declare the great deeds of the Lord in Jesus Christ. The Spirit enables us to confess the name of Jesus. You see, the post-Pentecost church is truly blessed. 
Christ is not present with us in the flesh, but he is present with us in the person of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is with us, protecting, preserving, empowering us so that we may be, both as individuals and as church, faithful, steadfast, and pleasing to him. If you're a child of God, thank him for the presence and power of the Spirit. We cannot take it for granted. The fullness of the Spirit is only possible because Jesus gave himself for his people, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And from the right hand, he sent the Spirit to empower and bless his church. The Spirit is Christ's permanent gift to the church and Christ's permanent gift to each and every believer. Then praise Him, brothers and sisters, for the blessing of the Spirit. You're not left to yourself in this wilderness. The Spirit of Christ is with you. You may live each day with the assurance that He leads you through the Word. He empowers you for the spiritual battle. He equips you as prophets speaking God's Word in this generation. And He will preserve you in the wilderness and bring you to the promised land. Moses said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That wish is fulfilled through the finished work of Jesus. Have you trusted the crucified, risen, and ascended Savior? If you have, then you are a prophet. And the Holy Spirit is upon you. What a tremendous gift. Are there any murmurers here today? Grumblers? Complainers? By the Spirit's power, let us resist the temptation to murmur. And by the Spirit's power, let us serve as His witnesses, both office bearers and members, bringing God's truth to bear on those around us, showing them their need of a Savior. If you've trusted Jesus, you are a prophet. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, we praise you that Moses wished is fulfilled, that the longing that he expressed in the wilderness is now a reality. And all because our Savior went to the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand, and from that glorious position at the right hand sent forth the Holy Spirit upon the church. We thank you that we now have the great sanctifier in our midst, both as individuals and corporately as church. 
we pray, Holy Spirit, that by your power within us we would not be complainers, murmurers, grumblers, but that we would give ourselves, putting to death the works of the flesh, give ourselves by the power of the Spirit to the service of our triune God. Lord, bless each and every one here this day. We pray that we would not grieve the Spirit, but that we might live every day again the reality of His presence with us, and that we may serve as faithful prophets, communicating your truth to our generation. Right here in our community, make us faithful, sanctify us, and use us, Lord, may our lips, instead of grumbling, may our lips be filled with praise and ready to testify, ready to speak as your prophets. In the name of Christ, we pray that great prophet. Amen.